This morning, uh, Lori and I uh, have gone through a little bit of an extraordinary week. There were some circumstantial challenges that were harder than normal, and so we kind of had to battle our way through some of that, like many of you are, I'm sure. And uh, we had a, a, a crazy experience, I guess it was Monday morning, because uh, Monday night, uh, I had a dream, actually. And so I got up and I shared that with Lori, and it turned into an extraordinary, maybe hour and a half long discussion where we were writing and sharing back and forth, and just a sense of revelation was really on the subject that we were discussing. And it really comes down to, again, the power of the tongue and the authority that we have, the ability to make godly declarations or ungodly uh, announcements about ourselves and about other people. And so I really want to discuss this morning in a practical way how to trust the goodness of God, how to express his goodness in a way that actually empowers you to overcome a specific, sometimes overwhelming challenges in your life. And so our anchor verse really is James 3, 9 through 11. And talking about the tongue, verse 9 says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? So there are times where our mouth can actually pour forth salt water that can be corrosive to other people, that can actually cause life to not be able to sprout, as opposed to words that are life-giving water, that refresh and water a soul and spring up new ideas and new life inside of them. So in, I'm not going to go into the whole dream, but I was talking with Lori, and it's never really happened to me. The Lord mashed two verses together in the dream, and I was expressing them at the same time and then as I woke up, I, I thought about it and I realized, wait, that's one verse and then that's the other verse and the Lord kind of smashed them together. So the first uh, part of the dream was, was the verse, let no, this is Ephesians 4, 29 through 30. Talking about the tongue, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Talk that I have always thought of no corrupt word, corrupting talk, I've always thought in terms of profanity or coarse jesting or uh, thoughtless words or whatever, but I haven't really expanded the definition to include basically words that don't give life, words that tear people down, words that make other people feel small so you can feel big. And so I want to continue this verse, but we're going to actually look at it in three different ways. We can speak words over ourselves that bring life or death. We can speak words over others that bring blessings or curses. And we can even speak of God in a way that either is tearing down or building him up in our eyes and in the eyes of others. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And so for the definition of that dream and our talk today, 
For me, that means any words that are going to tear anyone down, take away their hope, take away their dignity, take away their sense of purpose, take away anything good in their life. You can speak words that actually bring shame, condemnation, hopelessness. You can speak words of negativity that affect the whole atmosphere of the room and the people who are all around you. I believe all of those are considered corrupting words for that spiritual environment. And the verse continues, but only such as is good for building up. So building up people. Instead of tearing them down, you want to speak words that are actually going to build them up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, my old definition of grace was, you know, unmerited favor, that God would give you something that you don't deserve. And there's some truth in that, but my greater understanding now of grace is it's the empowerment that God gives us to live the life that we couldn't live without him, the empowerment to live the life that Jesus died for us to be able to walk in, the empowerment to get outside of human strength and wisdom and power and begin to move, empowered now by grace, by the Holy Spirit, to change, to have a whole different perspective, a whole new life. And so we're supposed to speak in a way that gives grace to those who hear, but then verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word, grief, I know two things for sure about the Holy Spirit. He's a very sensitive person. He is the Trinity. He is God himself. He's God's presence manifest in us and even in our world. Um, but we can, this verse says, we can grieve him. And what primarily is it saying that uh, the word there is actually used to offend. So you actually offend the Holy Spirit when you speak corrupting words toward yourself, when you speak corrupting words about another person, and of course you grieve the Holy Spirit when you speak corrupted words about him, when you speak about him in a way that isn't the reality of who he is. And by the way, just the end of that verse, we've got to remember that he wants to empower us, give us that grace to, and not grieve the Spirit, to offend the Spirit by how we treat ourselves and others uh, because we have been sealed. Sealed with what? Sealed by who? Sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually abiding in you, and that's the gift from God, the confirmation of your salvation, the guarantee of your future, and that's what it's talking about by... Um, being sealed for the day of redemption. There's a day, and we all need to be looking forward to that time when we come into the fullness of the likeness of Christ, our sinless nature, perfect love manifested in every act, in every word that we do, that day where we're redeemed back to our original design, our original ability to be in a loving, intimate relationship with God as our Father, with each other as brothers and sisters. That day is coming. And when we put our hope and our trust, thank you, God, you're faithful to bring to completion every good thing you're doing in my life, which means empowerment to be who I'm going to be in heaven. And I don't want to just wait for the great here now and the great off in the distance future. I want to live in the here and now. I want to let it be here on earth as I'm going to already be 
in heaven. And for some reason, that gives me the hope that it's not me at work in myself, but it's God at work, sealed with the Holy Spirit, that that day is coming and can come more and more to pass even here on earth. So um, I want to focus again on those three areas. So corrupt talk is not just profanity, but I would say it's negative self-talk. Um, uh, one of our sons is learning mindfulness, which for me is just another word for prayer, for meditation, for soaking. He goes to bed and he thinks about his day and what he's grateful for and what happened and what he's appreciating and what he's looking forward to the next day. Imagine if when you go to bed, all you do is think of the mistakes that you made, the foolish things that you said, um, how disappointed you were in yourself, and you rehearse those words over and over in your own mind. What are you really programming into your way of thinking? I've, I've heard people speak negative self-talk. I've even heard people say the phrase, um, I hate my life. Can you imagine speaking that over yourself? What you're command you're giving your physical body your organs your mind your attitude if you if the attitude of your fundamental heart is i hate my life and you don't know how to speak anything else over you um, i'm never going to be able to make it i came from a family of failures uh nobody's going to like me i mean there are so many forms of nev negative self-talk but you know what we, we sometimes feel like well i just want a realistic picture of myself that's not a realistic picture of yourself. And when you speak negatively of yourself, I believe this verse applies. You're not building yourself up. You're not speaking out any hope. You're actually grieving, offending the Holy Spirit because you're the one created in the image and the likeness of God. And so when you begin to speak to that, when you begin to speak out whatever hope that you can, you are already empowering your life for forward movement and becoming an overcomer. So uh, when we talk about others in a negative way, using gossip, slander, information to make other people look bad, when we spread misinformation, when we, you know, they're all kind, mostly when we talk face to face with other people and the struggle that I had for so many years. I was trying to impress people, tell the best story that I could tell, make a good impression. Instead of me be opening my heart to go, wait, what impression are they making on me? Where are they at today? How can I speak some hope? How can I speak some encouragement? How can I affirm something positive I see in their life? How can I draw out a gift that I've already seen manifested that they may not even be aware of? Lori had an interaction with a lady she's known for several years, and she was just able to speak in an honoring way with some qualities that she saw in her life. And you know, people very rarely hear surgical, strategic affirmations from other people. Sometimes they don't even know how to react. It's stunning to them. Why would you be saying kind things about me? I've watched the TV show Roseanne. I know everyone is supposed to be slandering each other and just critical of each other and picking on each other and using each other as a butt of a joke. Um, but that isn't the way it's meant to be among believers, obviously. And then uh, we're going to look a little bit at how we can have uh, corrupt words concerning God himself and how we speak to ourselves about him, what our beliefs are, how we speak to others about him. And uh, the one that came to mind is there are a lot of times, well, if once God takes this temptation away from me, then I'll be able to you know, be free. 
from my substance abuse or whatever struggle I have. And the assumption behind that is God isn't good. God is the one tempting or allowing even that temptation. And so to be able to say, well, you know, God is uh, allowing me to be tempted in this way, James, the book of James is very clear. God is never tempted by evil and he never tempts anyone with evil. It's, we allow ourselves to be tempted. So we don't, you got to know who to blame. There are times people blame God for things that he had nothing to do. Oh, it was a natural disaster. It was an act of God. I mean, what, why, why? Why would we blame him for the evil decisions other people make? And so we actually question his character and his goodness by becoming critical of him because he allowed certain things to happen when in reality it's in his goodness that he allows many things to happen in this world because he has to allow us to make choices in this world. It's the only way we can actually come to him and offer ourselves as loving sons and daughters. If he didn't allow that, we would be a world of robots. So let, let me go a little deeper into first how we talk about ourselves in corrupt ways. I mentioned Lori and I had a hard week and uh, these may sound like first world problems and in many ways I know they are, but uh, during this time when uh, only emergency surgeries and dental procedures are allowed, um, Lori had a cavity fall, uh, filling fall out of her mouth. And so she can't really afford to get an infection. She's had open heart surgery when she was a young girl. So anytime she goes to see the dentist, she has to take antibiotics to prevent any potential infection in her heart. So we didn't know how it was all gonna work out and uh, God bless her, she stepped out, talked to our insurance, our old dentist wouldn't take her, um, but he referred us to another dentist, and so we set up the appointment, and we went in, and everything seemed to be going okay. It was covered by our insurance, and the people were good to work with in the office, but as they got going, uh, Lori has a bit of anxiety. Uh, I'll just under uh, express this. She has a lot of anxiety about dental procedures, and uh, she gave me permission just then. So, uh, we need to find a place that has laughing gas because it kind of helps calm her down. It's a natural sedative. Well, this young dentist could not get the machine working. He either didn't know how to do it or it was broken or we didn't know. And she's like, Let, let's just muscle through this. I want to get this you know, filling taken care of. So uh, he goes, okay. And he's getting ready to give her the Novocaine. And she goes, well, do you have the kind of Novocaine that doesn't have epinephrine in it? Because she reacts very strongly to the epinephrine that makes your heart go faster, makes the Novocaine get in your system quicker. It's common that it's used. And then right away, he's like, no, we don't have that kind of Novocaine. And then she said, well, I, uh, I react to Novocaine or to uh, epinephrine. And then the dentist looked at her surprised for a moment, goes, I don't feel comfortable, and then left the room and then came back with a referral for a different dentist and said, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing this procedure. So he put in a temporary filling but kicked her out of the office and when she walked out the door, I could tell something very intense had happened. And to be honest, for a couple of days, this deep sense of shame, of failure, my fear, he, he couldn't work with me. He, she didn't, at the time, have the perspective that had more to do with the dentist not being able to handle that than some reflection on her. And so, you know, we tried to, to deal with that the best that we could but I don't know if you're vulnerable of areas in your life that you know you shouldn't be affected by, but then sometimes you get affected anyway. So we tried to talk all that out, and it was a very emotional time. 
And then on Sunday, I go to spend a little time down at the marina and get some sun and have some fun. And while I was on the boat, I did a project and uh, repaired something. And as I got up to my car, I realized I had lost my car key. And I searched the boat. I thought maybe it had gone in the river. I wasn't sure if maybe I'd locked it in the car. I didn't know where my key was. I was so embarrassed. I was so almost ashamed. And we only have the one keyless entry key for our car. So I didn't know, does it mean a locksmith? I know they cost $250, $300 to replace. So, I mean, it was bad. I called Lori apologetic. She was very sweet about it, actually, because she could tell I was already beating myself up. So she came and picked me up, and Sunday night, I, uh, I lost two or three hours of sleep with my mind racing. Do I call a locksmith? Do I go to the Toyota dealership? Do I break the window? What, how do I get in my car? How much is it gonna cost? What are my options? How could I be fo so foolish? I had all this negative talk going through my mind, and both of us had just been respectful toward each other, but we were both going through what was for us some very challenging times. And uh, I uh, remember Monday morning, we had a dental appointment for her. Uh, I was going to go after we were done with her dental appointment, figure out what to do with the car. And we're taking our communion in the morning, and it was my turn to pray. So we're just taking our normal communion, and while we're praying, I prayed a very simple prayer that I've prayed many times now, and I just spoke over myself, and I said, Lord, I thank you that you're going to be with me in finding the solution for finding my key. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, we prayed, obviously, other things. But in a way that is unusual for me, I, my spirit immediately responded to thanking him again for this challenging circumstances, that he would be with me and guide me. And we prayed about her dental procedure. And I am here to tell you, the minute I prayed that, this deep sense of peace washed over me. It's like, ah, oh, that's right. God is with me in this and I'm just going to walk with him, and I'm going to thank him, and he's going to provide. So we go to the dental office. They check her in. They have laughing gas. They have um, the, ah, why did I? Novocaine, the Novocaine without epinephrine, and there was a very mature dentist there who was firm, but very, uh, had good bedside manner anyway, and so helped Lori walk through some of the times that were a little scarier. And while they were checking her in, it became obvious that it was going to take a while. So I run off to the car dealership, and I get an $8 valet key for my car. And I drive to the harbor. I unlock the car. I open the trunk. Boom, there was my fob right there in the trunk. I had accidentally locked it in the car. And then I drive back up, and Lori is beaming. She had a good experience, got her filling taken care of. She gets in the car and says, like, look who I found. I thought the whole day was going to be lost to this thing. And honestly, I, I'm sh I, that's a long story, and I'm so, sorry I shared all that. Uh, but for us, that was not just theory. That was daily life for us in areas that we were vulnerable in, where we had to continue to step forward and speak out the right things. Um, not speak a lot of negativity, not be critical toward each other, not make accusations against each other or accusations against God or blame shift or any other negative way we could have responded. We chose to allow the Lord to speak into our circumstances and to get a different perspective. And so I, I have in my life had um, challenges in speaking uh, positively over myself. 
And uh, in terms of speaking of others, I, I, I have had some lessons in life about choosing my words carefully and not talking about people when they're not present. And one that came to mind, uh, Lori and I were talking on the phone and our son, uh, I think, was with me at the time. And uh, so Lori and I finished talking. I said, okay, bye. And I hang up the phone. And then I made kind of a snotty comment to our son about her. Well, sometimes she really does get carried away with her emotions. And then from my phone I hear, I can still hear you. I couldn't believe it. It's like, what a geek. I, I just said a negative thing about Lori to her son and was busted in the process. And by the way, that's happened to me more than once. That's actually happened to me several times. When I was young, I worked at a photography studio in a mall, and I, I knew the owner. And uh, finally, I, I went to school, and I stopped working at that studio. And I went in with a friend to show him the place that I used to work. And there was a big 35 by 40 picture of the owner in the front waiting area of this studio. And so I just start, oh, she is such a brat. She's uh, rich, she's spoiled, she's this, she's that. And then the owner walked right out from behind the partition and heard every nasty thing I had just said about her. So the way that we talk about others can become a terrible reflection on us. And I was so embarrassed. I just scooted out of there and it's like, I need to stop talking about people when they're not in the room, unless it's going to be to build them up. And, and that is not what that, that was not what that was. I was trying to tear her down and look like I knew something about her. Um, but th this, Lori and I had a little bit more of a subtle conversation about speaking to others. And there were two sides of this that I really saw and I liked. You can talk about others in one way where you're talking down to people. So you're trying to give them advice. You're trying to look like you have the answer. You're trying to look like you have the resource and they have the need in well in um, uh, relief work and development work. They call it the God complex, especially people from North America who have been privileged, people in North America who've been raised in middle class homes. We sometimes feel like we have our act together, that I've got an education, I've got a good income, these people who have problems, you know, they may be self-inflicted, you know, or whatever. And so you can tend to talk to somebody more parental, like you're talking to them because you're the authority. And what's sad is when you come off that way, it makes people feel bad about themselves. It makes you look like you're trying to serve somebody, makes you look like you're in the one-up position, and it's tempting sometimes to want to look or sound like an expert, but when you're an expert, it makes you feel good, but what's the impact on the other person who's just having to suck you know, resources out of your life and continue to suck encouragement out of you because they don't know how to do it for the whatever, it puts the other person in a very, very bad position. Uh, but there's another way that we don't build other people up, another way we can speak corrupting words, and that's when we're not willing to confront areas where people are doing something that's self-destructive or harmful to others, they have a blind spot in their life, and if you're really family, if you're really a, a good brother or sister, you're supposed to go to them and to talk about this area that God has something better for them in, but what can keep you from doing it? Fear of man. I want them to still like me. 
So I'm going to avoid helping them get stronger, helping them get built up by speaking words of truth in love that can also set them free from an area of you know, uh, self-destructive behavior. Maybe people have very negative speaking and you, you don't want to confront them on it because you don't think they'll receive it. There comes a point where you have to confront if it's going to affect that relationship. And so I, I don't know why, but for me, that words that tear down or words that build up is just a concept that I'm really working with and I'm asking the Lord for wisdom to go deeper than just the surface. And, and also, I'm asking the Lord for the ability, which, by the way, I believe if the Spirit is grieved and offended when we speak words that are tearing people down, don't you think the Spirit delights? Don't you think the Spirit empowers when our real desire, God, oh, help me speak words that build this person up, that strengthen them, that give them hope, that point them toward the sufficiency they have in you. God, help me do that. I have greater confidence, greater faith, I think, than I've ever had before, that it's not about me. I don't want to let fear of man stop me from speaking things that can build people up. I don't want to speak in a way that makes me feel like I'm giving good advice. I want to speak in a way that points people toward the one that they really need to hear from, which is him. And so um, the, the last area that I, I want to look at, and then, I'm, by the way, I'm going to... Uh, conclude with a verse that I believe is the heartbeat of how to really engage in having words that will build others up, but how we speak toward God. Um, you know, I still have some old covenant thinking in my mind. I've been in the church now more of my life than not, and uh, when bad things happen, I sometimes think, well, I'm just getting what I deserve. God is punishing me. I, uh, I probably deserve to be punished. So I'll just take my beating, you know. And God chastens, God corrects, God convicts us of areas of our life that are out of alignment. But he's not vindictive. He's not, he doesn't punish us in the way that we think of punishment. I mean, think about the woman caught in adultery and everybody was ready and legally empowered to stone her to death. And this woman must have been terrified, waiting for a painful public death. And, and they ask Jesus about him. And, and he says, well, you who is without sin, throw the first stone. And he clears the house. And then finally, when he says, uh, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That story is so offensive to the human understanding of right and wrong, of crime and punishment. She did the crime, she needs to do the time. There's all this thinking that somehow punishment is going to make something good come out when all it really can do is destroy. And so, uh, and by the way, this is a little heart check. Uh, when I had heard that story retold again, and I'm really trying to think through what does biblical justice look like? What does biblical restoration really look like? And that story of Jesus, you know, neither do I, you know what I focus on when I hear that story? Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Oh, see, he told her, go and sin no more. So he forgave you that time, baby. But you go tomorrow and sin again, he's going to have to smack you just like a, a bug on a windshield. Yeah, I mean, 
again, it revealed, I'm just speaking for myself, it revealed in me, why did I focus more on the go and sin no more part? Because she can't go and sin no more unless she maintains that face-to-face relationship, that faith and trust in the goodness that Jesus just manifested. It was an interaction with him. It was his words spoken to her as she could continue to be empowered by the love that he showed. She would be free to go and sin no more. She didn't have to shift gears now and go back to rule following, which she wouldn't have been capable of doing anyway. So um, it, it really does grieve me when there are catastrophes and famines and disasters and people who go, well, that's just the judgment of God. Uh, they got what's coming to them. It speaks more about the person who's speaking those words out than it actually does to the character and the nature of a father who wants to redeem all of his kids back into intimacy with him. So um, the two verses that got smashed together, by the way, are Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt talk come out of you, but only the words that are going to build people up, that it might impart grace. And, and then in, my, in the dream, actually, they were connected, and, and I thought right away of 1 Corinthians 14, 3, and don't, we're going to be wrapping up on this one, and I, I don't want to expand a great deal, but the heart for how to speak to yourself, how to speak to others, and how to even speak about God in a way that has the ultimate empowerment, the ultimate grace, the ultimate way of building up others is really in this verse. And it says, um, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The three primary indicators if you're truly a new testament prophet you're not pointing out people's sins and speaking god's judgment out against people you are actually speaking words empowered by the holy spirit for the upbuilding of people for their encouragement and for deep healing comfort to come into their lives he sent the holy spirit for us to be anointed and appointed to speak as mothers and fathers, not out of a superior, better-than attitude, but a coming underneath, wanting the best for them kind of attitude. And so I, uh, when it comes to thinking the right way about your own life, I just want those three areas again. When you think about how do I speak words that are going to build me up personally, I encourage you, go back to prophetic words that were spoken over you. Go back to key verses where God breathed on his word and gave deep revelation to an area that revealed to you not only his goodness, but his heart toward you. So I was remembering with, as I was preparing this verse, okay, if I need to speak to myself when I've locked my keys in the car or lost them in the river or I've once again said something that was insensitive toward my wife and I feel bad about myself, what can I do? I can remember an encounter I had with the Lord years ago, and all he said was, I love you, son. And the way I'd never heard it before, the way he called me son, it went so deep, it was so real, that this moment, right now, I can think, wait, but I am his son. And I know the Father's heart. I know the Father wants the best for me. I know the Father is proud of me. Let me operate out of that 
place of being adopted as a true son. I'm not an orphan anymore trying to work it all out in my own understanding. I, I hope you can understand. That's where the empowerment comes when you actually can begin to focus on the voice of what God has spoken over you prophetically or through revelation or through the still small voice. Um, I was at a men's retreat years ago and I was a young man and I will never forget, I had an encounter with the Lord and all he said to me was, I called you, you didn't call me. And it overwhelmed me. So I was actually in the back of the meeting room we were in and I was actually in tears just with thankfulness like God, thank you that I'm not so smart that I figured it out and you're so lucky to have me, that God, you pursued me. You opened my mind to my need and desire for you. God, you called me and I'm responding to what you're doing. You're not responding to what I'm doing in, in that way. And then as I was processing all of that and it went deep into my heart, then the, our senior pastor at the time was speaking over people's lives and words in, into the community. He looked over at me and he basically said, Charlie, I hear three words for you, strength, wisdom, and power. Well, my spirit was already wide open. I was a sponge. And I heard those three words like, oh, those are just attributes of me. I've got strength. I've got wisdom. I've got power. You know the number of times I've been in hairy situations and I've gone back at times and reminded myself, oh, God's given me those three qualities to face this situation. Thank you, God. We need to learn to build ourselves up by reminding ourselves of the, of the things God has said over us, just like with the car. When I learned years ago through Revelation 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and everything give thanks. I'll thank you when good things happen, but God, I'm going to thank you when a bad thing happens and I've got to figure out what to do with my car keys and I won't blame myself and I won't blame you and I'm not going to blame my wife. She wasn't even there. I would love to blame her if I could. It's that woman you gave me, but I'm not going to do any of that, God. I'm going to thank you that you're going to be with me as I look for this solution and that deep peace. Those are ways that we speak into our own lives. But then learning to be generous with our words toward others, to learn to be experts of affirmation. Woo! I'm not going to call this sermon that, but I almost would like to. Experts of affirmation. When I work with couples, often if they've been in a very hard place for a very long time, they've rewritten history. And when uh, one of the questions I'll ask is, so what's still right with your marriage? What's still good? What do you love about your spouse? And no kidding, after several years of going through very hard times, I've had some people flatly look at me, there's nothing good, there's nothing worth saving, I don't like anything about them, I didn't like them on the day I got married, I haven't liked them ever since, and it's only gotten worse. I mean, eventually, your words can become so corrupted that you don't know how to say a kind thing. You don't know how to acknowledge anything toward a person that you're having a fight with. And so, you know, learning how to speak into somebody's life and speak a word that's actually going to turn circumstances around because you know how to speak the truth and love empowered by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy does it better than anything else. Words of knowledge, strength, wisdom, and power. Give me a break. I mean, my heart was ready to receive it. And so we need to be the ones who speak that way. And, uh, and then finally, um, you know, God speaking over you is uh, the best way to reflect back to him who he really is. So making those declarations from his word, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
One of the biggest challenges I've had in a long time, and I'm not going to elaborate on it a lot, but because of my um, uh, carelessness, uh, last year we lost um, our medical insurance through the healthcare marketplace. And it was one of the most humiliating, embarrassing, traumatic. It lasted for months. There were ongoing financial consequences. I was more embarrassed about that than anything probably in the last five years. And we were doing Switch on Your Brain and we we're asking the Lord to speak into an area of shame. And what I heard as I was writing down what the Lord was saying to me personally, he said first that he was gonna be with me in it, which went into a deeper place than I ever had before. But then he said, you can't lose if you just try. I would feel good about myself regardless of the outcome if I just try. And guys, I, that shame that had been on me for months broke just like that. Because I believe that was a God thought. That was a prophetic word over me, the Lord reminding me he'd be with me and that I can't fail if I try because he'll be with me in it. And the empowerment that came and the victory that we finally saw and the freedom that I got is what I want for everybody as we're talking about the power of the tongue, what to speak over your life, what to speak over other people's lives. So I just want to, uh, to just encourage you, you know, one word from the Lord is all you need to get the strength, the direction, the empowerment. He's not going to withhold himself from any of us. James 1.5, one of my favorite verses says that any who lack wisdom need only ask and God gives generously to all without finding fault, without shame, without condemnation. He wants to empower us and have the wisdom to learn the discipline of controlling our tongues in a way that builds ourselves up, builds others up, and honestly can build God up in other people's eyes because we speak about him, not theoretically, but we speak of him and his character and his kindness and his goodness in a real manifested way that people hear like, wait, I didn't know God was on my side. I thought he was upset at me, like that the majority of people think. So I want to just close in a quick prayer. I want to challenge you to believe that you have been anointed by God and you've been appointed as ambassadors of his kingdom to speak words of life, words of hope, words of fun, words of power over other people, and even stir up whatever prophetic gifting you've had before. And if you haven't, have somebody pray for you. Begin to study about it. I believe you're getting so much closer to the heart of God when, if you're going to be speaking corrupt words, you're going to grieve the Spirit. When you're going to be speaking words that build others up, you're going to be speaking the very words of God to them, and the Spirit will empower you to do it with great success and perfectly fitted to the moment in a way that can take your breath away. I'd like to spend the next 20 minutes telling you stories about prophetic words and the ways it's turned around people's circumstances, but we're done, so I'm not going to do that. So let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you speak into all of our lives. You've given us your word to read, to come to know the way you think and the way you feel about situations. And you sent your Holy Spirit to breathe on your word, to deepen it deep into our heart and not just become what we know, but what we believe and what we believe becomes what we do. And so we thank you that we're transformed by the washing of our minds with your word. But Lord, you put empowerment and grace into each of our lives to now have 
discipline over our tongues, to not be people who speak corrupt words that are going to tear others down and tear down their, their idea of who you even are. But Lord, you're anointing us today to be able to people, be people who speak prophetic words, who speak of your written word in a way that you breathe upon. And Lord, I pray that we're going to be experts in affirmation, building each other up, strengthening each other up, pointing people to know how to hear uh, your voice and to strengthen themselves in you, to get a word from you and to trust in your goodness in every area of their life, every shameful area, every broken area, every failure, God. You are the God of resurrection power. You are the one who speaks life. You are the one who takes what's intended for evil and you use it for good. Lord, use us all for good in the way we speak about ourselves, the way we speak about others, and especially, God, the way we speak about you. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you all.